You are listening to Here Now Podcast, where we dive deep into faith, hearing loss, and lifestyle, and talk about all the things that you need to be equipped in this journey we call life. I'm your host, Sophia Labano, and this show is here for you to find encouragement in the everyday life that God created for you. Make sure to subscribe to never miss an episode. Thanks for your support. Now let's get into the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Here Now Podcast. This is the last official episode of the year before Podcastmas begins on Tuesday, December 1st. But without further ado, I'm so excited to welcome Mr. Damon Owens onto the show. Hi. Hello there. Thanks for having me. Of course, I'm so happy to be talking all about Theology of the Body. So welcome to the show. Why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Oh, I'd love to. My name is Damon Owens, and my wife, Melanie, and I have been married for 27 and a half years. It's like kids, you know, like, I'm six and a half, you know, <laughs> uh, 27 and a half years. And we've been involved in, in ministry marriage really from the beginning, and not because we were like uber Catholics, but we were just on fire with a major reversion back to the mm-hmm. faith. So Melanie and I involved in natural family planning, marriage preparation, pre-cana work. And then I went full-time in ministry in 2002 after selling my engineering company and immediately was introduced to Theology of the Body. I had not heard of it before, even though I was speaking about sexuality and marriage and family. And that really just, just opened up a whole world of the gospel, of our Catholic faith. So for the last 18 years, been working full-time in ministry. For I was the first executive director of the Theology of the Body Institute, 2011 to 2016. And I've uh, had several apostolates. And right now, my wife, Melanie, and I run something called Joyful Ever After, getting the marriage you want from the marriage that you have. Mm-hmm. So very personal, very practical. But we say it's the, the, the vocabulary, the lyrics of the theology of the body with the melody of joy. So very, <laughs> you know, very, very accessible, but very rich in its content using this theology of the body. I love it. Oh, and most importantly, oh my gosh, besides Melanie, I have eight children, uh, <laughs> uh, all, all girls, I always say, uh, all boys except the first seven. So I have seven girls and a 10-year-old son, Nathan. That's awesome. I was going to say I was waiting for you to talk about all of your children as well. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm sure she probably would not very like me very much if I don't mention that I got your name from Janine Peters, who's a fellow <sighs> TOB member, of course. So a little shout out to her. But yes. For some of the listeners who who might not be Catholic, who are Catholic and just don't know what it is, how can you explain theology of the body and what it is really at its core? Wow. I'd love to do it. There's there's lots of ways to do it, sort of that pithy elevator pitch. But (laughs) I find that there there are many of them because it really matters where you're coming from. I have a different sort of intro to the the teens that I would have, the young adults that I would have, the married, religious because the, at the core of the theology of the body, uh, when people ask the question, you just ask, what is it? There's really three questions buried in that. First is, what is it? Out of all the things in the universe, you know, just what is theology of the body? The second people say is, um, what, what does it say? What does the actual teaching teach? What's in there with it? And the third part sort of wrapped up in there is, why should I care? You know, basically, what does it mean? What, of all the things, why should I even you know, pursue any kind of interest in that? So I'll try to hit on all of those for, for in really just, uh, just two minutes, if you will. But fundamentally, the, the theology of the body is a term that came from a body of talks that Pope St. John Paul II gave in the first five years of his pontificate. So 1978 was called the year of three popes. Pope Paul VI died. Pope Paul, John Paul I was pope for 33 days. 
And then Pope John Paul II, first non-Italian Pope in 400 years, was elected and um, already known as a scholar, someone who grew up in Poland, a faithful family, lost his parents early, lost his, most of his family early, grew up during Nazi occupation, grew up during the, the Russian, the, you know, the, the communists and the, the socialists, and saw firsthand just human evil. Uh, and I don't mean just policy and politic, but murder and betrayal and just real human evil. But at the same time, had such a devout faith, not only to Jesus Christ, but to his church, to the Catholic church. So he, he very much wanted more than just an emotional answer, but a very deep fundamental answer to the question of, you know, who are we? Why are we here? And then how do we live to be truly joyful, to be truly happy? And he's an intellect. I mean, he's a philosopher. He's a theologian, underground church, University of Lublin. I mean, so very much taking his faith beyond the head, uh, really from the heart, beautiful synergy and synthesis. So all that's a good background because what he offered in 19, September 1979 to November 1984, about five years, a series of talks that he literally gave on the balcony of St. Peter's Square to pilgrims on Wednesday audiences as they came to, to see the Pope. I've done it once in my life and I'd love to do it again, right? But on Sundays and Wednesdays, he has an Angelus address at noon and then Popes usually will give some announcements and then kind of wave and, and move on. But he was the first to, to systematically meaning week after week, teach on something. And it wasn't a big announcement. It wasn't, you know, he really just started to teach. And people started to take note. Lizerbito Romano, the newspaper, official newspaper of the Vatican, started to track it in different languages. Seminarians and scholars who were there started to pick up, like he's on to something here. And it turned out, we didn't know this until like 2006, he actually wrote a book. And it was not yet published when he was elected Pope. So he had a finished manuscript that he had begun in 1974 as a follow-up to a book that he had written in 1960 called Love and Responsibility. And he was a bishop then. He was involved in the Second Vatican Council with all the bishops of the church from 1962 to 1965, and then wrote um, extensively about implementing this council around the world, particularly in, in Poland. So this body of work is answering those three questions based on his own experience, based on the Second Vatican Council, based on the work he had done in 1960. Who are we? What does it mean to be a human person? Whose are we? Really, what, you know, who do we belong to? Who is God? That's why it's a theology. It's a study of God. But then really the question of how do we live our lives to be truly happy? So in the end, the book that we have, and I've got my little prop here, <laughs> Dr. Mikhail Waldstein, in his translation of this, really was taking those audiences, as they're called, and certain translations, and finding and trying to recreate this manuscript that actually was never published in John Paul II, uh, from John Paul II. So the phrase theology of the body really was referenced about 50 times, 52 times in that, throughout this study. So we got it from him. He says, you know, we're, we're talking about a theology of the body, and he uses scripture. I think there's something like uh, 200 scriptural references throughout this body of work. It's very dense, but it's readable if you want to. And he asks and answers three questions. Who is a human person? Who are we? And he takes us back to our origin in Genesis to see uh, the original man. And then he speaks about historical man in sin. And what, is it, what does it look like to live uh, with the same nature? created but now in the presence of sin and then this third sort of triptych as he calls it that's the origin the history and the third is what's called a destiny 
and we reference and he speaks about, you know, what is it, what is our eternal destiny as human person? So you might think that sounds dry. You might think that sounds like <laughs> some heavy, just empty, high theology. But the reason that the theology of the body has taken such a, a beautiful explosion in the last 20 years in particular is precisely because it's answering the questions that you and I are asking right now about ourselves, about our vocation, about our, our existence. And you can understand them in such a way that even in the beginning, you can pick up on key principles like love being self-gift, giving and receiving another person, about the relational truth of God as a father, and not the father of our fatherhood projected up to God, but something original in God that gives life outside of himself and then spends all of who he is to ensure it's good. That's a fatherhood. So we have all these truths that it helps us understand masculinity, femininity, marriage, a single vocation, religious life, joy, happiness. All these things now take on a different meaning because they're not sort of universal objective. They're really brought down into the particular subjective experiential. And it really forces us. It, it compels us is a better word. It compels us to really see ourselves in the great salvation story. Oh, amazing. And, you know, I'm somebody who has studied theology of the body just very, very little. And I haven't even gone into the depths of knowing all the things that you do, too. So I think it's absolutely amazing that there's just such a wealth of information out there. And it's just so, I guess, yet to be discovered for so many aspects beyond just, you know, within the Catholic Church. And so I think it's a worldwide teaching that needs to be made universal more than it already and, is. And it will. I think you're, you, you've touched on something that's important is that it's not about studying the whole thing and then being done with it, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the gospel. It's like the Christian discipleship where you need to know what you need to know and exactly. you need to sort of move to where you're attracted to and the things that are element if you're getting married or if you are married you want to understand the deeper supernatural realities of marriage and then yep. what does it call for me if you're single and you're trying to discern a vocation you're trying to figure out you know who am I and, and what really is going to make me happy because I'm unique I'm unrepeatable there's never been anybody like me and yet we have so much in common with each other that we can talk about what it means to be human Exactly. So you come in in a different place. If you've been wounded, then, you know, you, you're looking for healing. If, mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're, you know, looking for, you know, real theological answers to who God is, you're going to come up with an entirely different vocabulary under this theology of the body. So it very much is for everyone. Exactly. And, you know, I spent a lot of my time researching specifically theology of the body in relation to social media and mm. how it impacts our identity, you know, because I feel like a lot of times, and I'll ask you this as well, people have the stigma that TOB is just about sexuality within marriage. Yeah. And yeah. that is so much farther from the truth that it needs to be. And I think that our identity in Christ is the very first point that we need to kind of come to recognize before we can move on to finding out our vocation, whether that's marriage, single life, etc. So I was going to ask you, have you seen that stereotype or that stigma around TOB just being about sexuality or masculinity or femininity? Absolutely. No, no, absolutely. And if I could go specific, I think the stereotype is that just about sexual morality. You know, what's right or wrong, what's good or evil, sort of that depth that we've been sort of moving this this boulder, we meaning folks who are teaching and promoting theology, is that without dismissing that, because I don't, I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think what it shows is that of this teaching, what's caught fire in people's hearts, maybe that's a bad analogy with fire, healing, right? It's, it speaks to the wound, right? If people are gravitating toward 
the implications of theology of the body and sexual morality, it's precisely because that's where the wound is. What is right? What's wrong? And why? And when you enter in through that door or that window, you have to first answer some fundamental questions that you just hinted at, right? So before you get to the verb of sex, you need to understand the noun, male, female. And you said it very quickly. It is beautiful that you see the connection because the identity of masculine, feminine leads you then to the human person as a, having a body, that our bodilyness is more fundamental than even our sexuality. Exactly. And that to, to be bodily, uh, to be made body from the beginning, before sin, throughout sin, and then we believe in the resurrection of the body. What we're doing is we're also identifying a wound in a broader culture that, that does not revere the original dignity of the body. And it sounds funny because people seem to dismiss that they, you know, they'll get the tattoos to express the body or the colors in the hair or the, you know, the, the piercings and things to, and the, you know, the sexuality with the push-up bras and the, you know, the spanks and all that stuff. You think people just, you know, they're idolatry an idolatry with the body. And that's partially true. But there's also a sense that there's something, the better part of the human person, the better part is spiritual, is non-corporeal, is non-bodily. And in that sense, we have to be healed to recognize that the body-soul is this unique composition together that makes the human person. Now, the body is not the soul. The soul is not the body. The body is material. The soul is spiritual, right? But we're not spiritual beings, and we're not mere animals with bodies. We're something wholly different and yet similar. We're these body persons. And this is all getting to that question of morality because to get to the verb, you get to the noun, to get to the noun, you get to the person. And to get to the person, you start to talk about, you know, what is a person, a human person? So this is what we mean by the theology of the body getting to identity because it's so much more than sexual morality. And yet it is the great exactly. answer that people are want. It's both and. Yeah, and I... I think I said this in my last podcast episode too, is I've studied philosophy this year, specifically metaphysics. And I just feel like there's there's just so much information that people are missing out on to know that relationship between your soul and your body. And yeah. totally nerd out on this one, but the Manichaean religion, you know what I mean? How they believed that our body was just pure evil because it was matter. And so mm -hmm. I think something like TOB is almost just like this redemptive quality that, no, that is so not true because you need to have both in order to have a relationship. You need to have both to have a body and just a spirit in general. And so I think that TOB just kind of does away with that old thinking and really just puts this... I guess, supreme quality or just a supernatural level to a human person that was just missing and lost in translation for thousands of years. So I agree. I agree. I would add to that too, to say that yeah. beyond that, it provides really compelling foundation to see mm -hmm. why. It's not just another philosophy. It's not just another theology. Yeah. Because it's experiential, because it's principle, because it's subjective, not subject subdivision like we make things of our own subject but a, a subjectivity that we give honor to mm -hmm. the human person is not just a thing not just you know not, not ordinary but really there's something supernatural in our creation and the image and likeness of god that still is clear in this body soul composite so we can neither elevate the body in some idolatrous way nor can we denigrate it in a way without doing harm to the person so whether it's a Manichaeism, that heresy you just spoke about, you know, Father Man, it was actually, you know, to be honest, when you start to study these things, these will call now call heresies, a lot of them make a whole lot of sense. 
Exactly. They're, they're, not like, they're not like these crazy wild-eyed, like, oh, how could you ever believe this? Many times they're more reasonable in our limited human reason yeah. than what the church gets revealed, has revealed to her as the fuller truth. It's the, it's the minority who come to see, well, no, that, that may make more sense about Jesus being an exalted body and coming into exactly. it. But actually, no, he's the, he's the only begotten son of God. You know, mm-hmm. all the things in our creed. And the theology of the body really returns us to that creedal Christianity, but not again in that objective, conceptual way, but very much in a very, very sensual, (laughs) very sensual way. Absolutely. And I could say that a thousand times about the heresies. And I say it in my discussion post each week, like they're just very logical sounding and there are logical heresies out there and of course yeah. you know you, they're combated with the truth but you know something like manichaeism it's just it makes sense why they would think that way i mean mm-hmm. our soul and it is something that's intangible it's not the one that's causing us to sin our body is and mm-hmm. so that being evil, that's exactly why they would feel that way. So I think, you know, we'll probably just stop talking about philosophy for, for now. <laughs> turn, turn the geek down. Turn the geek down. <laughs> I could talk about it all day long. But the one thing I did want to ask you is now that you have, like you said, eight children, how did you start to incorporate TOB and kind of mm-hmm. really put that upon your children to raise themselves in a mindset of TOB? Yeah, this is the the humility of... The difference between discipleship mm-hmm. and catechesis and evangelization, exactly. right? So you catechize when you already have belief, right? Your heart's on fire, evangelizing. You want to know more. Tell me more. Tell me more. And catechesis just, and it's like these, theology of the body just, just fills your heart with the, the more whys behind the why. The evangelization is when our heart gets cold and we start either intellectualizing or, or compartmentalizing or just walking away, turning away from God. And we need our hearts revive the discipleship piece is really just following it and it's so difficult and i say that to answer your question because melanie and i have always incorporated you know our ministry work first and foremost with with the family with the kids i'd say the difficulty in that discipleship is that we're learning we're still students and as you know we learn we start to see more clearly what we've done wrong but also stay present in the moment about how we can do something new now so the jury is still out with my beautiful children, you know, my oldest is 23 married and we see beautiful fruit in our children, but it's way too early for us to really, to know that. So I would say, I would speak more to our philosophy. Our philosophy is to use different language and vocabulary, you know, with them than what we grew up with. We still teach them the fundamentals. In fact, when they're young, we use the Baltimore Catechism. You know, why did God create you? To know you love you, this world, to live with him forever in the world. You know, so we teach them the classic fundamentals. But in that is the foundation. And building that is far more relational in the language about God being the Father who loves you more than I, you know, even I love you. And I will lay my life for you. And, you know, God created you, female, this beautiful gift. And what kind of motherhood is God going to want from you? You might have a family, you might be the mother of an order, you might, but anyway, your, your femininity is about nurturing and bringing in it as your body grows, you know, it, be, it really is for that great vocation of some kind of motherhood the world has never seen. And, you know, those are sort of those, those, those moments where we can actually go longer, but, you know, on the sort of the steady diet is one of that, that vocational language, that one of honoring and revering the body without idolatry that when there's growth in the body, particularly in, you know, sexual development, 
these are things are all ordered toward power that God is giving you for your stewardship. You know, so that, that we never grew up in that kind of, of language. And also love being not this sentimentalism or romanticism. It has feeling, but the, the real Christian love, and my kids have heard this a thousand times, you know, we talk about eros, philia, storge, agape. You know, eros is that romantic love or it's the passion of the heart. Uh, storge is that, that duty within family icon of the mother and the baby. Philia, friendship, like Philadelphia, you know, we're from here. And APE, really that, that unconditional love. And helping to see the distinctions of love, they don't fall into that, that sophistry and that, you know, that, those tautological signs, you know, love is love, you know, and, and <laughs> all that stuff. It's just, it makes absolutely no sense if you're paying attention to creation. Love is not love, right? All, all love is from God. All love is good, but not all love is the same. Mm-hmm. You know, as I tell people all the time, look, if I, if I love my, my daughters in the same way that I love my wife, you need to put me under the jail. Okay, so if you can recognize the difference in the authentic love of a father and a daughter and a husband and wife, then don't tell me about love is love, okay? Because love is not love. But all that to say, you know, that's how Melanie and I have have tried to really share, even in our brokenness, right? We were very wounded from our college years and from, you know, our own sexual brokenness growing up in the 80s and, you know, Mm -hmm. the 90s and college and Berkeley and all that stuff. So there's a lot of healing going on with us as well. So we're just as anxious as anybody else to see, you know, as, as, as we're living out loud and growing in our faith out loud with them, they're far better off in terms of their own confidence, their own sense of who they are than we were. But look, we all have to make our own choices and the jury is still out on the choices that they're <laughs> going to make. And we're on our knees literally every morning praying for, you know, praying for their relationship with the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that is such a, big point to touch on too is just that feminine identity that has been so lost in the last you know years and so because of social media and just this uprising of feminism versus the feminine genius and you know there's a whole different avenue we can go down and talking about that as well but I think we really need to return back to the true the truth of what our feminine identity is as the receiver as you know this mother figure modeling after mary and her true her true femininity and her true motherhood and so do you think that social media and the rising of that has really affected how people are practicing tob whether it's a positive or a negative aspect yeah i think it's everything we do in our humanity is is giving witness to one of the many key principles of theology of the body, and that's this call to communion. And communion is, is a central theme in the theology of the body. First, the communion of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our communion with God, you know, being made in his image and likeness, male and female, he created them and blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Our communion with each other, that's the icon for that is marriage. How, far, how, how much of a communion, how deep of a communion can two human persons have? It's not the all of all, but it's the, it's the icon that says it can be so complete that two could become one flesh in a moment of union and also in the creation of a third from the fruit of that union. So I think to social media, yeah, this, is, this is clearly new in, in humanity without being over, overstating it. This is new, but I think it gives, it gives witness to the centrality of the need for communion even as the sort of approximate, the digitizations of it keep failing us. They, they keep falling short. They keep leaving us wanting. 
but we keep going back thinking, you know, a six second TikTok or, you know, or a, you know, a, a long a 160 post or 140 character post is going to, is going to express. And we see the defects of that. We see the deficiencies in those. And even in the longer form things, you know, like podcasts and videos or YouTube or even Facebook, you know, the longer forms that are available, these are all, you know, they're digital approximations of, of something that we long for. So I think they're like most things, if we keep sort of the standard that we're made for communion, deep abiding personal communion, and since we're body, soul persons, it's a body, soul communion and friendship, family, and all those types of love, eros, philia, storge, agape, in its, in its pretty pure form or in its, its good form, the social media should draw us to the fuller communion of that, of that sensual. You're getting all senses involved, you know, see, smell, hear, taste, and touch. But I think a lot of times it, it um, replaces, and that's when the technology really does harm to us. I mean, yeah, but then this is 2020. So, I mean, in this year, we've seen how these technologies in many ways have saved us, you know, in keeping connections that, that would, where would we be if we didn't have, you know, Zoom and go to meeting exactly. and all these, I mean, <laughs> but, but to think that these replace those is, in, I don't think anybody does, honestly, but, you know, there's a danger. There's a danger that, that mm-hmm. we could think that this could really replace, I mean, this really can't replace the mass. Exactly. You know, and for the first several months, you know, we were watching a mass and we, we longed to be there. We, we, we went on the fumes of memory and, and the grace that God's going to give us. But that's not going to replace. We had to get back. We had to get back to mass. I don't care how many people get in there. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll reserve a seat. We'll get, <laughs> we'll get in early, right? And the same thing for birthdays and anniversaries and picnics and, and all those things. For Thanksgiving, Christmas, things exactly. we're, we're approaching. So. Yeah, I think there is definitely both a negative aspect and a positive aspect of social media in that, A, it connects us, but it also connects us in a way that we don't want to happen. You know, Mm. people fall into traps there, but then we can also evangelize and really spread the gospel in a more widespread than we could have ever even imagined before. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's super important to really identify where your heart is at when you're putting a message out there. Am I doing Mm -hmm. it for the right reasons? Am I doing it so that I can glorify God and the message that I'm speaking? So Mm -hmm. do you think that TOB applies to just Catholics, especially if they don't know anything about it? Absolutely not. This is one of the beautiful things about being Catholic, about being Christian. We have such solidarity with, you know, non-Catholic Christians because there's such a deeply scriptural foundation for theology of the body. As I said, I, I forgot the exact number, but it was close to 200 particular scriptural references that aren't just asides. They're actually the train tracks that John Paul II uses to make the case for the human person made male-female as being made for communion about our relationship one to the other, about the, the, the fullest and deepest truth about marriage, about who God himself is, about who we are to God, and about how we're here. All those things are so deeply. So we have a, a great solidarity with, with our biblical uh, Christians. But even beyond that, without any vocabulary, without any foundation, we're talking about the human person. These aren't just conceptual ideas. These are, these are, this is revelation, literally pulling back the veil and God revealing to us, in other words, revealing, giving us the ability to see behind the veil of what it means to be human. Now, we have to alter our language when we talk to people only because they don't share our vocabulary. I mean, if you went to Greece 
and you're speaking to someone who's, who's you know, modern Greek, you're going to speak the language in order to connect with them. You're not going to go and start riffing in Italian or in English about something that may be true. You have to learn the language of the culture in order to be heard. And that also is a, it's a TOB understanding of communion, that communication, whether it's verbal or nonverbal, is part of this whole ethos, this whole giving one to the self. So it is for every human person, but we have to be able to speak the language. As I was talking to somebody the other day, we we're fundraising for Joyful Ever After, and one of our, our language things is that you know, we want to move well beyond sort of the engaged 7% of, of Catholics who you know, are involved in everything. And I said, I said, listen, we're talking to people who, who, who don't read Fulton Sheen. You know, they're reading Glennon Doyle. You know, they're not watching EWTN necessarily. They're watching Ellen or, or, or the other shows. So you have to be able to speak a language, not in any manipulative way, just in a way that you can be heard. And in that sense, the theology of body acts as a, a foundational truth from which you draw the ability to speak truth in any language. It's not that you're just taking the concepts and, and tossing them and seeing what happens. We're not air, we're not air dropping 50,000 Bibles somewhere and saying, you know, here's Jesus, you know, <laughs> it's, it's so personal and we have to have the courage and the, and the patience and the, the really the perseverance to, to meet people one-on-one right where they are, but be secure in what these truths are about ourselves, about them, about what truly makes us happy. And that gives a certain peace to be able to, you know, to, to bear one another's burdens. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I think that meeting somebody right where they are is such an important imagery. And it, you know, it goes even beyond in this particular. It's instance. an act of love. Exactly. Exactly. And it's really just, you know, it's just as Jesus did for us. He met us exactly where yes. we were with our sins. And so we have to yes. do the same for other people. And I think, I think that is such a very powerful, powerful vis- like visualization of how we can really start to outreach to people. If they're hurting, then we, we take that position for them as well. Mm-hmm. We start to really connect and move to that agape love with them. You know what I mean? And just be unconditional. So... How do you think somebody can begin to incorporate TOB in their life? Hmm. I think it depends, again, where you're coming from. So when I was at the Theology Body Institute, where we were dedicated, and they still are, very much dedicated to intensive graduate-level instruction, but so beautifully weaved into uh, basically a week-long retreat, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, literally in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And there's this whole, whole heart and head and heart. We call the head and heart immersion in this. I think that is a beautiful approach for those who, you know, who can, can take part in that. But I think the beauty of that is that it, you need to be honest about where you're coming from. If you have a certain academic or intellectual background in theology, philosophy, there's a, there's a, a different approach you know, that you're looking at. Not necessarily better, but just honest and authentic to where you are. Because you've been trained in a certain understanding, a theos, a theology, a study of meaning of God, a certain philosophy, or even a spirituality or ecclesiology, the way you see the church. So you need to approach it that way. If you, you know, sort of academic allergic and you, you, you look at this book at two and a half inches and you're like, oh, this is not happening, um, then start to find the particular applications of theology of the body from different voices uh, speaking to you know, whatever it is that that's important to you. Again, it could be vocation. It could be sexual morality. It could be your femininity, as you spoke about. It could be masculinity. It could be understanding the mass, understanding the Bible itself. There's, I mean, literally there are hundreds 
of entry points. There are particular TOB ministries dealing with bereavement, with separation and divorce, with marriage preparation, marriage enrichment, like joyful ever after. So there's so many ways of, of understanding these. And, and that would be sort of, that could be a, a podcast. It could be a CD. It could be, you know, if you still have those, you know, or just, you know, it could be talks from speakers. And then there, you know, there are, there are great books that are out there. Jason Everett's Theology Body in One Hour. Christopher West's Theology Body, oh, Good News of Sex, Sex and Marriage. It was a great book there, 50 sort of, I think it was 150 questions and there. And then Christopher's book, what was that? Theology Body for Beginners. Exactly, yep, yep. I was blanking too. There's also a father, Anthony Percy, Theology Body Made Simple. And that's what I was kind of mixing mm. it up with. So <laughs> there's some great, great books that could get you that, that introduction. And then again, some, some more scholastic approaches to it. But there's, there's such a, a growing and well-rounded approaches to Theology of the Body that it's hard not to find it. But then also, you know, to be careful about you know, your, your experts, your authorities, your sources, and, and be diverse in finding people that not just speak what you want to hear, but really can help you understand not only difficult concepts, but concepts that um, are really going to challenge you in what you think you know <laughs> about yourself, <laughs> about God, about the church, and all those things. So, yeah, exactly. just be, be courageous. Exactly. And I used the, I think, metaphor that you know, we're almost like looking in a mirror when we study with TOB. We're just mm, really good. internalizing our things and just looking at ourselves first before we look at everything else. And so I definitely have been inspired to really take a look at TOB again, because it's been about two years since I did my research on it and just really take it and break it down even further and how I can really focus on things to apply to my life right now, you know, as a student in college, as single and really just figuring out my vocation from here forward. So what do you think would be a piece of advice you want to leave with the audience? It could be about TUB, it could be about anything, but just really inspire us with something. Yeah. First thing came to my heart really is just, we have such a noble vocation because of our baptism, because of our confirmation. And the world right now so needs us to be healthy, to be whole, to be uh, credible witnesses to Christ. That doesn't mean perfect. It's not impeccable. It doesn't mean we don't. In fact, many times it's our wounds and our failures that give rise to that humility to, to tell the story about how God has, has healed us. So I think taking the time to grow in uh, a real intimacy with Christ, to deal with things that keep us from loving, from being loved, receiving love from others, that kind of openness, that kind of attentiveness to our own formation has the dual power of keeping us humble to be able to really just meet people where they are with the same zeal to help them experience the healing that we're experiencing. So it's, it's very much an accompaniment, as Pope Francis talks about. So my, my words really are about perseverance, endurance, and really allowing God to do a work in us and let everything that we do be the fruit of that healing as opposed to trying to be active out or thinking that we're not good enough to speak Christ's name or to speak about our faith. Our history, biblical and otherwise, shows that God, it's, it's the broken people break people. You know, wounded people wound people. Healed people heal people. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's, a, there's a real power of God working through us 
that's not about our perfection. It's not about our being making ourselves good enough. And this is one of my dominant, my dominant defects is this, this self-reliance. So, you know, I may be reflecting more than now, but if you, if you sort of have that sense that you have to do all of this in order to be loved by God and to be good enough to speak and to have a podcast and to, <laughs> and to speak theology of the body, you'll, you'll never be that. It'll never be good enough because that's not the measure. The measure is exactly. just that, yes, Lord, what do you want from me, Lord? And Lord, if this is your will, your will be done. And I will do whatever you want. I will stand. I will be silent. I will speak. I will stand up. Oh, you tell me where I sit and when I stand. So my words of, of really encouragement are God has a very particular and irreplaceable mission, vocation in and for you. And the time that you take, the attentiveness to it is not just for your sake, but it's for all our sakes. Exactly. And I think the most I guess the biggest barrier for a lot of people is that when they hear that God is giving them a mission, the first thing they expect themselves to do is go out and just evangelize and preach and stand on a mountain and talk to everybody. But sometimes it has to be that internalizing of ourselves and healing within ourselves before we can go do the same for other people. And so I really think that that encouragement is not only for a larger person, but it's really just taking it for ourselves and just really coming to know and being still with who we are first before we can go out and do the same with other people. And God will bring these people. He'll bring them to us. Exactly. It's not like we got to go out of it. You'd be surprised in the formation what God brings to you. And it's his work. All of this is his work. Exactly. And that's just such a cool thing about the Catholic Church, at least in my opinion, is just how personable we can be, not only with ourselves within a community, but with God and how he just is really on this level with us that is just unmatched with anything else that we get to do. So I think that is just a good note to end on. So I wanted to ask, where can people connect with you if they want to learn more about what you do? Sure, they can reach us at joyfuleverafter.org. And we just hosted the Catholic Marriage Summit in June, and 39,000 couples joined us for an online event. It was a massive, beautiful event, but you can find that also at uh, joyfuleverafter.org. That's amazing, and all of the links will be in the show notes for you guys as well. Mr. Owens, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I had a wonderful time. Thank you for the invitation. It's been a blast. Yes, it's awesome. So again, don't forget to check out all the show notes below. And again, this is the last episode before Podcastmas starts next week. So without further ado, have a wonderful week and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Mm-hmm.